welcome to the Homosism Podcast. This is episode 36, and today we're talking about Homosism version 0.80. And with me as usual, I have Phil. Hey, Phil. Hey, how's it going? Good. And we also have a special guest, Nakaya, today. Hey, Nakaya. Hey, how's it going? Good. So whereabouts in the States are you from, Nakaya? Originally, I'm from Los Angeles, but I live in New Hampshire now. Oh, nice. That is cool. Heard a lot of good things about that place, so that's neat. It's beautiful this time of year. Yeah, it's uh, for us. It's starting to get cold, so it's a little less, a uh, little less beautiful. Getting sick. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a lot of trees around here, so it's a lot of the changing of the color right now. Yeah, yeah, we have we have that too right now. So that's that's a nice part. So, anyways, uh, on with the episode. So, just in terms of a quick little announcement, uh, Hacktoberfest is on. So, uh, again, if you're not familiar with the program, it's run typically by DigitalOcean. They work with GitHub, I believe, as well. And basically, you work through different open source repos and such. And if you have five or more pull requests, then you get yourself a free T-shirt, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And it's not restricted to any, you know, you don't have to be just in the US. It's anywhere in the world. I've got a, I'm in Australia, which is like the other end of the planet. And I've got T-shirts from this. So yeah, definitely get involved if you can. Yeah, it's very cool. And 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 Home Assistant, I know in the past years has participated, and I believe it's uh, we're doing it again this year. Yeah, I think they're already at um on the main repo. There are over 104 pull requests have been merged already, and 234 pull requests have been done on the documentation site as well. Which is which is awesome. Yeah. So even if you don't know Python, but you can improve some maybe some spelling or grammar in the docs that you've seen, uh, open up a pull request and. You get yourself a free t-shirt if you do five of them. And it doesn't have to be just Home Assistant and it doesn't have to be any particular repo. As long as it's an open source repo on GitHub, it doesn't have to be particularly listed or participating in Hacktoberfest, you will earn yourself a t-shirt. So yeah, there's a lot of projects that you can help out with. That is very cool. And we'll leave the link for that in the show notes. Of course. Uh, and and I believe Home Assistant will have a link for that as well on the website. On to point eight oh. So we were starting out with uh, a new webhook component. If you're not familiar with that, basically what you can do is you can utilize the webhook uh, with any other third-party applications. Uh, and you can use that to fire off you know, different automations or whatever. F- Phil, do you use any any kind of webhook pieces today in well, any of your projects? And not, not Home Assistant related. But. Well, no, not Home Assistant yet, but I, I, ble- I will be now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, the company I work for, where we do a lot of uh, webhook-based things. So, yeah, I'm definitely familiar with the concept, and I, I know how powerful this is. It's going to be particularly useful for people that use uh, IFT, if this, then that. So what you can do in that uh, program is you could have, for example, say, you complete a task in your shopping list. You could then have IFT send a webhook to Home Assistant to do anything, flash your lights, make an announcement, or anything like that. Webhooks are really powerful. They're also going to be great. Uh, there's a lot of other apps, for example, Sonar, Radar, maybe headphones that will actually send webhooks when they do something. For example, if a download completes, they will send off a, a webhook through your local network. In the future, you might be able to integrate this with Home Assistant as well. So you can say, hey, here you go, go watch it. That's right. So yeah, very powerful, uh, this new webhook component. So very excited for that one. Yeah. Uh, another great feature that's been added is the GitLab continuous integration sensor. So this allows uh, users that have their Home Assistant config posted to GitLab as opposed to GitHub to have a continuous integration job, which basically would spin up a Docker container of Home Assistant whenever you do a push into GitLab, check that you haven't accidentally 
put one space instead of two spaces in the YAML and then give you the thumbs up and say, yep, this all passes the tests. Go ahead and restart Home Assistant. You won't have a problem. So you can actually get that now uh, as a sensor in Home Assistant. So that's a great little addition if you're a GitLab user. Yeah, and the nice thing is you can, uh, again, and, and you kind of alluded to this, is you can maybe even track Home Assistant as as the Git, GitLab repo that you want to use. So as you make changes and such, just run it through a test. I wonder if you could then just use that webhook component as well once GitLab says, hey, this all passes the build, go ahead, fire off a webhook to Home Assistant, and then Home Assistant just reboots itself. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely doable. It's cool to see how all these little components, they might, in isolation, they may not make sense, but when you see how they can communicate with each other, it's where you get the real powerful stuff. For sure, for sure. IKEA TAD-free switches. There's more support for for the wall switches that uh, TAD, uh, that IKEA has released uh, with TAD-free. So. We don't even have the light bulbs here, like in Australia. That really frustrates me. Oh, really? I, I've been wanting yeah. to play with it, but I'm, I'm, I haven't. <laughs> it's, it's, it's basically, is what it is. Uh, it's, it's my, my whole big holdup right now is uh, I want to redo all of my uh, Z-Wave Zigbee stuff, and I, I want to get rid of you know my external hubs and things like that, and just collapse it all into a Raspberry Pi. So I just, I, I, it's a big enough undertaking on itself that I haven't done it yet. So yeah, I've been there. Yeah, when I do that, then I'll eventually get to it. Uh, now, there was a another edition that was in the docs. Uh, they may have removed it, but I, I do want to mention that uh, there was a new Hassio Discovery API added in 0.80. I'm not sure if they pulled it out at the last minute. I did see it in the release notes uh, coming up. If it's not available in 0.80, at least in the future, Home Assistant will be able to detect which Hassio add-ons you have enabled and then can set up the necessary components in Home Assistant. So uh, this is going to be a big deal for anyone that's a HasIO or HasOS user in the future. Mm, yeah. What you'll be able to do is go into the add-ons page, uh, and the example that they had on the docs originally was you could add the MQTT uh, component in the add-ons from HasIO. Home Assistant will then detect that you've added that MQTT component into HasIO and say, hey, do you want to also enable the MQTT side of things in Home Assistant? And then you don't have to go in and change your configuration and set up all the, you know, the URL and the username and password. Hassio and the Discovery API will just handle that for you. So if it's not available in 0.80, it's definitely coming, and this is a really exciting feature. So, yeah, I'm really if you're a Hassio user, you should be really excited about this. Yeah, that's awesome. That's especially for for you know, non-technical users or, or people that just want to get this off the ground and get it working. Uh, exactly. That's that's huge. It's it's that many less clicks, that many less steps to do, right? So Yeah, it's bringing that whole turnkey solution into it. You know, it's just everything's tightly integrated and it just all talks to each other and it knows what to do. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Also, we have uh, taps, faucets, showers, sprinklers, and valves uh, to be, we have the ability to add all those things to HomeKit. Uh, now, so that's kind of nice. Yeah, I, I really want to know where these smart showers are because that's cool. <laughs> and also that HomeKit has the ability to do all these, like has a separate, you know, shower component or a sprinkler component, I'm guessing, in HomeKit. That's, that's cool. Unless it just becomes a switch, which probably actually that may, may, more, may make more sense. Yeah. Well, I, I know you get automatic valves and such, right? So let's say, for example, you want to, you detect a leak and you want to cut the uh, cut the water supply to the house or something like that, yeah, right? You yep. just put it on your water main and they can do that. But yeah, I mean, in, in, in terms of like showers and stuff, I mean, maybe that's the same, but 
sprinklers, I would assume that's the same, but yeah, showers would be interesting because, uh, you know, can you, can you, can you do things like, again, change temperature, right? And, yeah. And, and at what point does it change the temperature and stop changing the temperature, right? <laughs> too hot, too hot. Like, you don't, you don't <laughs> like, or, or way too cold, right? And, and, well, someone starts streaming Netflix and you're yelling at the shower to, hey, turn it, turn it colder. And you have to wait for that delay for the, the cloud com- like to come back and say, oh, that's the command you said. Yeah, I'll turn it down for you. Yeah, exactly. And and knowing my luck, if I did that, I'd, I'd yell at my Echo and, you know, say, hey, make it warmer. And then it'll just keep going. And when I say, okay, that's good. <laughs> at that point, that's when it'll decide it doesn't want to understand me. So Of it's, course. Uh, <laughs> it's... So. Considering that every now and then my Lutron switches will just turn off and on randomly, I don't think I'm going to hook it up to my shower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. I, I, I've, that's interesting. I've I've never run into that issue uh, with Lutron, but that's that's yeah. There's always a possibility of doing that kind of stuff. Right? Well, I have a theory that I still need to test out. I believe it's that I have both Lutron switches and I also have some Philips Hue bulbs in those light sockets. Ah, gotcha. Just a quick switch. Yeah. That's cool. Well, mm. yeah, hopefully hopefully you get that figured out. Yeah, definitely. But but for that that reason I I wouldn't tr- quite trust the shower. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. Yeah. yeah. It can definitely ruin your morning or night or, or whatever. Some breaking changes in the new release 0.80 uh, the Tibber platform has been removed into its own component. So if you're using that uh, as a sensor, it's now its own component and you'll need to update your configuration for that. Yeah, the Philips Hue platform won't use Discovery anymore if it was set up manually. So basically, if you've been using it for a while, before Discovery, uh, before, before the Discovery functionality came in, and, and that's not the new Discovery, that's, that's the original uh, Discovery function, then you might have uh, the Hue piece in your config file. Um, so if you have that, then uh, it actually won't auto-discover any new lights anymore. And if you want to do that at that point, then uh, go go through the Hue uh, setup wizard in the config panel. Yeah, just moving more things away from that YAML file into the, to the main home assistant UI. Yeah, exactly. The Netatmo uh, public weather stations that uh, were recently added uh, into Home Assistant now have more sensor values added to them. They include uh, temperature, pressure, humidity, rain, wind strength, and gust strength. Because of all the new sensors that have been added, you'll need to specify them in monitored conditions in your configuration. So if you're using the public Netatmo weather sensor, just be sure to go and check that out. If you use Home Assistant Native OAuth 2 for Google Assistant, uh, that may break for you. The flow that they use to connect Google (laughs) to OAuth basically has, from what I understand, has been changed a little bit. Uh, so you'll need to relink your your Google account and uh, and update your config.yaml. Uh, basically, remove your client ID, access token, and uh, and your agent user ID. Also, uh, updates for the ratio uh, ratio sprinkler component. It no longer requires you to specify the switch and binary sensor platforms. Uh, they'll be initialized automatically. So make sure you remove the switch and binary sensor entries for the retro platform from your configuration if you're using that. And uh, the Blink component, uh, apparently that's been completely overhauled, uh, which is kind of cool. So, But uh, no uh, notification sensor are, uh, sensors are exposed. And that means uh, for things like uh, motion and such, you can use uh, your binary sensor as well. 
to detect it. Also, there's a couple of other changes. Uh, things like Snap a Picture service has been changed to a trigger camera, and and any any cameras that you use with they get prefaced with Blink when you uh, when they're added to Home Assistant. That includes if you have them already. Yeah, so that'll be uh, changing into the IDs when you reboot, so watch out for that one. Exactly, yeah. And some other noteworthy updates. It's a really big release, this one, because of Hacktoberfest. That's cool. Yeah. The uh, the one I'm really uh, looking forward to is the daily or hourly mode has been added to the dark sky weather sensor. So now you can specify whether the forecasts will be uh, displayed in Home Assistant for the next few hours or for the next few days. I'm personally using the Dark Sky Sensor for the weather card in Lovelace, so I'm hoping when I update to 0.80, I can just flick that over, and in the cards it'll display the next few days, the forecast. So I'm looking forward to trying that out. Ah, that's kind of neat. Also, image support has been added to Hangouts. Uh, so with uh, using Hangouts as a notification, uh, you can now have images. That's kind of cool. Yeah, snap a picture of a camera, send it through to your Hangout chat. That's cool. Yeah, you can see who's at the door or something like that. That's uh, that's very yeah. cool. Uh, if you're using the Google Maps platform for presence detection, uh, you now have the ability to see your phone's battery level and your charging status, which is something I believe we spoke in the last episode that the iOS app can do. So now yeah. it's cool that if you're on Android and you're using the Google Maps platform, you can see that now. Some automations that you might want to do with this could be sending an alert to a significant other when your battery's almost out of battery, and also detecting when your phone is charging at night. You might be able to put the house into sleep mode automatically as opposed to having to yell out goodnight to the Amazon Echo or something. So, yeah. <laughs> Some, yeah, some that's cool, cool stuff there. That is neat. Oh, but on the note of the iOS app, so I've been playing with the beta quite a bit. I got rid of my uh, my u- using Smart Things as uh, using the Smart Things app as, oh, as a you location. Got rid of it finally. Oh my god, guys! the 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 app is amazing. Um, and and I, I tweeted about it. Quite a few people were like, "Whoa, that's cool." Somebody somebody actually, and one of the things I realized is I've actually able to use that through my uh, through my uh, single sign on. So yeah, nice. Which is which is amazing. So uh yeah, great uh great enhancements guys. So kudos to the, to the uh, iOS team. Does the iOS app let you view it in Lovelace? Uh not to my knowledge. I might be wrong. So my my Lovelace uh attempts every time have been pretty catastrophic. So uh <laughs> temporarily I have given up on <laughs> given up on trying <laughs> to get that to work. Uh, I, I'm, I'm using the normal, uh, normal UI. So I, I believe it uses the normal one, but maybe, maybe somebody can, uh, uh, shoot us an email and, and let us know if, uh, if they've had that experience with, uh, with Lovelace and, and I would assume it, it would, Lovelace would have to be your default. Well, I'm, I'm curious because I'm using the alpha version of the Android app Ooh, and okay. while it doesn't use Lovelace, I know they're already talking about that being a future feature. Interesting. Okay. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I don't see why it wouldn't if if Lovelace is your default. But I again, I, I could be wrong. That that's a good question for Robbie. Actually, next time uh, next time we chat with him, we can ask him. Also, uh, logbook enhancements. Any any incoming uh, commands that you uh, spit out through your Echo will actually get uh, logged in logbook. So that's kind of handy. So just to know, you know, if you're having any trouble. Between between your Echo and and Home Assistant, uh, it's great for you know troubleshooting that a, a bit as well. So that's uh, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. 
So Nikaya, on, on to you. What's what's going on with you? What's your what's your home assistant story? We, we want to know. All right. So um, I started with home assistant back in May. Previous to that, I had been, like I had mentioned uh, before when we were talking uh, prior to the podcast, I'm kind of a tech enthusiast. So I had been doing a lot of stuff with Google Home and Chromecast and things of that nature. And when I got into a new house, I wanted to make it more of a smart home. So I added a lot of uh, Nest components, MyQ garage door openers, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And during my research, I came across Home Assistant, which obviously adds a lot more components to the fray than than Google Home, especially at the time. Yeah, that's yeah. I'm just looking at the the list you've got. You know, uh, you've got smart things. You've got Nest. You've got smart locks. You've got so yeah. many uh, smoke detectors and thermostats and that alarm system. So you've you've done it. You've <laughs> done it really well. I'm very jealous. <laughs> how, yeah. how long have have you just started with being wanted to use home automation, or have you previously done home automation before? I've I've looked into it before, but obviously, um, you know, all the major companies are a, a little expensive, uh, especially for what they offer. I had had a whole home audio system. I forget the name of the company now, but it it had some some automation features just for the audio. But anything like blinds or anything like that, you look into the price and it's just ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So I was waiting for something that I could do with my home. When Google started coming out with their their home products, I jumped all over that because I'm big into the Google Google ecosystem, anyways. And so that was that was a natural fit for me. Yeah, that's nice. awesome. that's awesome. I'm I'm also pretty jealous of. Uh, I know you mentioned you have a gigabit uh, internet connection, so I'm pretty jealous of that. Oh, the dream. I know. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, offered. This is a brand new neighborhood, so obviously Comcast is, who's my cable provider, is putting all their their new equipment in here. And yeah, that's definitely definitely made things a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's not bad at all. I mean, I, I think my where my community specifically has, I think we can go up to two fifty megs, which isn't bad. I'm on a hundred meg. I think I think Phil could use the most out of all of us. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so since then, it's just been building on to it. One of the things that that I don't know if you guys have seen is Google Home recently updated their home application. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny because I know now that my user interface for Home Assistant will never be used by anyone in my family because <laughs> they will just go yeah. through the Google Home app. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now that you've got the visual representation, now Home Assistant still serves a purpose there because I can feed a lot more devices into Google Home than I would be able to without it. Oh, for sure. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's a bit like uh, HomeKit as well. I think if you're an iOS user, you may not necessarily use the, the Home Assistant app if you've got everything available to Siri via the, the Apple Home app. So same sort of situation there. Yeah. Even even if nothing, it works as a good platform to normalize everything right absolutely absolutely now i don't know if you guys have seen the new google home app like and and actually played with it but it's interesting because one of the things you brought up earlier was how is it going to see it like so it sees my garage doors as switches Um, where on is closed and off is open but it's, it's interesting to see how it interprets the data from home assistant as well but it also makes it so that i'm now going to go in and change my whole set up so that it 
makes more sense in in the home assist, in the Google Home app. Right. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. Yeah. So so how long uh, how long have you been on the the Home Assistant ecosystem then? So Home Assistant I've been doing since May. Okay. And that's that's added a lot of stuff. I'm not you know as I had mentioned to you guys in my email, um, I'm not a programmer or technically inclined to that level by any stretch. But I'm not afraid to tinker. I've built my own computers. I've I've done things of that nature. I'm not afraid to copy and paste a little code here. Sure. YAML. The more I use it, the more it makes sense to me. Yeah. And I think it's that's a lot of people have that initial hurdle where they look at YAML and they go, "Oh, it's code." And well, it sort of is. But if you take the time and just understand it, eventually the flows make sense and. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it definitely makes a lot more sense than when I try and go and look in Python and and figure out what's going on there. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Sl- slowly slowly but surely. But I've always been one of those people that dives in it's it, it's how I got into HTML coding too. I I dive into the source code and see if I can figure out some of the stuff that's going on. Sure. Nice. What are you using to run home assistant using a Raspberry Pi? Yeah, Raspberry Pi. I'm using um Hass.io, and that's been great so far. And I've got, I I see people in the forums a lot of times ask, you know, how many devices can a Raspberry Pi handle and whatnot? And I've got 70-something devices on here, and it's not not even blinking. Oh, wow. That is cool, yeah. So I don't think, I think the way that the code is optimized makes the, I mean, I think you'd have to really have a lot of devices to, to overload it via that way do you find rebooting the pi to be slow with that many devices no i i I can i can have it i can turn it off and have it back up and running in say five minutes okay that's that's reasonable yeah it's not bad um the one thing that i do find and i'm i'm trying to figure out the solution and it may be not going the discoverable route but inputting it all manually is I have a lot of Chromecast devices and it does not always pick all of them up. Hmm. And so I'm thinking if I if I set, you know, IP addresses and and put it in manually that that may help with that. Yeah, I'm guessing if one of the devices goes to sleep, it might not get detected in time or something like that. Yeah. Right. So so how many uh how many people do you have in your smart home? Is it just you that utilizes it or do you have a couple of people or uh, my wife and I, as well as our three kids, my wife has a love-hate relationship with the smart home. <laughs> she loves the convenience it brings when it works, but it hates me and everything I do with our house when it doesn't. Yeah. 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 I, I know that feel all too well. <laughs> well, the smart home is a, a full-time production system. You know, you, you can't have a second of downtime because as soon as a switch doesn't work, it, it, you will feel the the support tickets coming your way very quickly. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, that's actually why I also switched from because I had originally started to use Philips Hue bulbs, which I still have some of them in, um, but I wanted to use that for my smart light solution. And I quickly realized that people intuitively hit the switches. Yes. So yeah. you have to. So that's why I switched over to Lutron and installed Lutron switches throughout my house. That way they can be controlled smartly or the standard way. Yeah, and 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 that's huge, right? Especially and and, and you know, even even 
people that use it all day every day fine you can you can almost train yourself to be like oh hey i need to i can't or i shouldn't flip the switch or whatever but you have a guest that comes in and boom everything (laughs) all that's out the window right so yeah absolutely and i mean you can even install you know those those battery operated switches but then you have double switches everywhere yeah yeah that one's not uh, (laughs) well as a renter that can't change uh, the physical switches, I've I found the best way to do it is to put a little bit of masking tape over the switch. Keep it on and just put a little bit of masking tape. And as soon as someone goes to flick that switch, they, they feel the masking tape and realize, oh, I'm not supposed to turn that switch off. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It's that that's the that's the only only kind of caveat there, right? Is is sometimes you don't have a choice. Right. Like, yeah. like in your, in your case. So, but, uh, so, so how do, how do, how do you and your family, uh, interact with, uh, with, uh, your home automation? Is it primarily through voice or is it, do you use a combination of that? And it's the app, prim- yeah. It's primarily through, through our voice and, and through Google home and, and whatnot. I use my phone and, you know, the, the home assistant user interface. I'm the only one that uses that, but I like playing with it. I like a lot of the stuff you can do with Lovelace. I think I can eventually build a prettier uh, user interface with Lovelace than, you know, Google Home or anything that just automatically populates everything. Yeah. But for the most part, it's done through uh, the Google Home devices. Fair enough. Okay, that's 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 cool. So it, it's interesting because one of the things you mentioned is uh, like talking about how, you know, using Lovelace as, uh, you know, to use the actual UI. And earlier we were talking about, uh, well, my my lack of experience, I guess let's call it with, with, with Lovelace. And it, it was interesting. So for me personally, I, I, um, I, I realized I barely log into the, into the interface unless I need to check something, right. Almost, almost everything is either an automation or, uh, done through voice to, to override the automation or, or to go around the automation. Right. So it's, it's, uh, that, I don't know, for, for me, that was another thing where I was kind of like, uh, you know, I don't know if I, if I, is is it worth a time investment in in upgrading uh, or, or in rebuilding my UI to be Lovelace uh, based, right? So for for you, I guess it sounds like you do use it, though. Yeah, and and for me, it's it's more the coolness factor. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like that's, that's that. I like having a picture of my living room and having you know device switches for for all of them at the bottom of totally. it. And eventually I'd like to do the floor plan. I think that's, that's an incredible feature, Yeah. but I know it's for me. It's, it's, it's sure. It's a lot easier for, for everyone else to just, you know, call out to Google and, yeah. and have it do its thing. But also I think if you've got guests and stuff coming into your home, they may not know all the things that they can say to Google. So having a, a tablet like I have on the wall with Lovelace and yeah. if you've got the floor plan, it might make it a bit more uh, guest friendly as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that's one of the things that um, that I was going to do is I have a spare iPad that I was going to uh, repurpose as the UI. But I think um, at least for for my wife and most likely my family, the new little Google Home uh, touchscreen thing that they have coming out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that's probably going to do it for, for most of them. Cool. I mean, that's, that's awesome. Let it actually, I'd actually be very curious to know how that, uh, how that works, uh, if you, if, and when you do it. So, uh, please, uh, keep us posted on that one. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun playing around with this stuff. 
Um, I'm trying to get presence detection figured out, which I, I understand is pretty much everyone's headache. Yeah. You know, right now I'm using, using Google maps, but there's false positives when I'm at home, when I'm at home. So I've had to shut off my garage door automations. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm trying to figure something else out. I'm thinking, you know, uh, what was the one my father-in-law had told me about? Cause he uses home assistant as well. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, he, he actually got me the Raspberry Pi for my birthday. And when he got it for me, he got himself one uh, to build it because he knew what I was planning on doing. <laughs> but he uses some sort of, uh, I think it's Nmap yes. for presence detection. So I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about trying to install that and figure out how to make that work so that when my phone connects, it automatically opens my garage door. But even that's problematic because I have Wi-Fi in my truck, so... My phone is typically still connected to my truck's Wi-Fi right. until I turn it off. Uh, that's a bit tricky. Yeah. You can try playing with the priorities and stuff on the for from the Wi-Fi network. But yeah, no, that is still... You could potentially get another Raspberry Pi and stick it in the garage and then use Bluetooth uh, to detect... To best put out a pulse. And when it detects maybe your truck's Bluetooth from the radio or even your phone's Bluetooth... Uh, because it's outside as well. Once it sees yeah. you coming home, then it can say, all right, the car's just arrived now, open up the garage door. Yeah. I've thought about doing that. Um, Bluetooth low energy, I've, I've heard some of those beacons are pretty pretty good. I've also thought about just adding some conditions to my Google Maps automation. You know, say it only opens if it hasn't seen me home for the past 10 minutes. Right. Yeah. You know, something of that nature. I guess one of the simple things you could do is once the garage door opens and that automation fires, you can then just turn that automation off and then have another automation that goes, all right, this automation's been off for half an hour. I can turn it back on now. And that way it won't fire repeatedly. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, no, that's that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Or I wonder if this would be possible. Um, oh, that's basically what you're saying is, is set, turn it off and then have another automation Maybe that see that turns that automation on when it sees me leave. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. That way you won't get, if you're already home, uh, it won't uh, sit there and constantly open up a garage door. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, no, it wasn't a problem of, of constantly opening. What it would do is, you know, my GPS would get a false signal that I was a little bit out of my home zone. Uh, I had that same and problem. Then yeah. And then it would signal that I was back in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's annoying. Yeah. So that's why I'm thinking something where I put a, a timer on it. I'm I very rarely leave my house for, for a short period of time. So I could even say something like if it hasn't seen me home in twenty minutes. Right. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so that's one of the major automations that I'm looking into is is having the garage door open and, and shut. I wish Nest and Yale would be a little bit more forthcoming with their APIs for their lock. Yeah. So that's made me, uh, although Google Home can now lock it. So that helps. Oh, yeah. that's good. The unlocking is, is typically they do it on purpose just so you can't yell and, you know, say, hey, unlock the door. <laughs> like any anybody can just, you know, just say it really loudly and, and, and what have you, right? Yeah, I just wish because Nest and Yale are working together, but now Yale is also working with, who's the other major lock company? Um, August. Um, Quickset. August. Yeah. August. They're also working with August. 
So they're putting some of the modules for the presence detection for unlocking into some of the Yale locks. But considering August and Nest are competing, I highly doubt it's going to come to the Nest X Yale lock. <laughs> yeah. But that's had that's one thing that's had me thinking about migrating over to the August home locks. So you have so many devices and uh, and that you seem to have integrated. What would be some of the the most coolest automations that you're proud of? Like that maybe it doesn't even have to be like, oh, you know, you've got the garage door opening, but what's something that's even like, you know, that you're proud of in particular? Um, so I guess the one that I like is actually it's it's so simple, but being able to tell to to just say well I I first let me say I have a young child that um she's just three and a half now. Mm-hmm. So when I'm carrying her down the stairs, being able to tell Google to turn on Netflix and what channel to put it what what show to put on, that's Oh, that's that's, awesome. that's probably my favorite nice. thing right there. Yeah. yeah, especially when you don't have your hands free. Exactly, exactly. That and now that I have the lights, when we're all leaving for for the day or to go out for something, being able to say, you know, turn all lights off and not having to worry about anything. Yep, that's another that's another good one. That's cool. Yeah, so, sometimes it's the it's the simple ones that are that. Uh... Yeah, it, you use those all the time, right? They they basically replace having to do something. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, Google Home. So we have Google Homes in just about every every room in the house, yeah. and that has brought so much more music into our house just because it's so simple. Yep. Yeah. No, I I, I totally get that. Yeah, the the I I love the integration of Home Assistant and Google Home. I wanted to get maybe a um, Echo of some sort to because I know there's some skills that you can do on the Echo that you can't necessarily do on the Google that I'm interested in tinkering with. But I'm so ingrained into the Google ecosystem, I, I can't see wholeheartedly switching out ever. Yeah, it 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 gets a little annoying too if you have multiple uh, multiple ecosystems, right? And- you know, now it's a lot more thought in terms of, hey, do I say uh, my Echo's name or do I say my Google Home's name, right? And, you know, which does what functionality? You almost have to have a little matrix in your head, right, at all the time. So. Well, that's one of the things that's good about Home Assistant is yeah. you can at least make, make your own um, commands for it. Yeah, yeah exactly. So that way, that way, you program in, them into your head as that command, rather than thinking about what device or or whatnot it is. Yeah, no, for sure, agreed, agreed. I just can't get over that mouthful of having to say "okay" and then Google all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, I mean, yeah, this has been this has been awesome. Uh, do you do you have any anything else to? To, to tell us or yeah i mean I, I would just say you know i think this podcast is probably preaching to the choir for the most part but you know anybody that that's thinking about tinkering with this stuff it's it it seems a lot more overwhelming than it actually is once you get into it and just take your time i mean the the house that i've built out obviously i spent quite a bit of time on this but you know it's still only taken me i i probably had it fully functioning within like four months that's not bad, actually. That's yeah, not bad that's, at all. Especially when you look at the, the number of devices, all the smoke detectors, all the 
different variations that you've got. So yeah, four months yeah. is pretty good. That's really good. Well, I had I, I had to rebuild from scratch a few times too because I don't know if this was just an earlier version of Home Assistant's problem or maybe I wasn't giving it enough time. But it seemed like whenever I lost power, I couldn't get back into my system. Oh, and I'd have to end up rebuilding it from scratch until you know I started being a little bit smarter and saving my YAML files and and making it a little bit easier on myself. Yeah, for sure. But that was that was definitely a, a hurdle that I I had to overcome in in the beginning. Nice. But I, I, I thank you guys a lot for this podcast because it's it's been interesting hearing other people's stories and just kind of hearing other people's use cases for for you know home assistant. Well, absolutely, a lot of people have different ways of doing the same thing, right? And it's always interesting to hear another person's perspective on how they would tackle the problem. I'm I'm sure you're not the only person that's got their garage door opening up in the middle of the night accidentally because they're gps was out of range for some reason so it's cool to see how other people are solving those issues as well well yeah and i mean one of the one of the issues that the community definitely solved for me is sony sony bravias are an automatic uh discoverable component but if you have multiple of them it will not discover multiple it will discover all of them but you can't you can't have them all added at the same time even if you go in and alter the yaml manually using that way it doesn't work so i had to use a uh, custom component that the community built put my ip addresses in manually and all that but now it sees all my tvs and i can use the functionality that's cool that's neat yeah it's it's, the community is fantastic for especially for that kind of stuff right so it's uh no that's wicked i just wish there was and and it's funny because it's you know, everybody's doing their own thing, but I wish there was somebody that was aggregating a lot of these sources so that you knew where to look for, for things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, actually, uh, Frank, who does a lot of the Home Assistant uh, HasIO add-ons, he's created an awesome HA list, which is uh, up on GitHub. I'll leave a, a link in the show notes. But if you're looking for blogs or YouTube channels or anything like that, there's a whole list of all home assistant related stuff that you can just go through and oh that's cool as as things like hacktober and and so on and so forth are going the documentation itself is getting a lot better too and and that's that's something that's always been kind of a work in progress and there's always been improvement uh requirements to improve you know slowly but surely i think it's i think it's getting there i don't i don't think it's there yet but it's it's you know it's it's starting to go in the right direction so uh yeah, so I, I would say of all the hubs that I've used, which I've used Wink, Smart Things, Wink was probably the the next best, but Home Assistant was the most complete, user friendly, yeah, uh, solution that I was able to find. It's interesting that you say that because a lot of I know Home Assistant gets a lot of negative, especially uh, when comparing you know things like Smart Things, is that you have to know how to code and the documentation is not up to scratch. So it's interesting that you would say, look, I saw these commercial products and even Home Assistant was easier to use than those. Absolutely. I would say as far as the the full functionality of it, you have to tinker a little bit, but to get the functionality that a lot of people try to get from smart things, you have to actually code. Yeah. And and that's a lot more difficult. Uh, Wink, if you're using products that connect to it, is a great product 
And, and I hope that that one continues to grow as well. Well, Nakaya, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your home assistant install. I am very jealous of your setup. You seem like you <laughs> Same. Yeah, got a, a good setup there. So congratulations. Well done with that. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. Um, and, and like I said, thank you guys for the podcast. It's, it's been a great help in, in getting me up and running. Absolutely. No. Our pleasure. You're more than welcome. And if you want to come on and join your home assistant story as well, uh, reach out to us, feedback at haspodcast.io. We always love hearing how people are using home assistant. Perfect. Thank you guys very much. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.